Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today, we're talking about the business world. We're talking about marketing. And in a very competitive marketplace, whether you are a large corporation, whether you are a solopreneur, um, it's very, very difficult to carve out an uncontested marketplace. And personally, I have researched high and low to find a guidebook or a methodology that works for somebody such as myself, somebody who uh, creates a lot of media, who likes to be creative, and how does one uh, effectively get the content out there in the world and in a way where it's not being dropped in an ocean where it goes unnoticed or unheard. And that's what we're exploring right now. We're exploring the blue ocean strategy. And my first guest is Dr. Zunaira Munir. And Dr. Munir is a senior expert of the Global Blue Ocean Strategy Network and works directly under Professors Chan Kim and Renee Moborn, the founders of Blue Ocean Strategy, helping them manage the Global Blue Ocean Strategy Network and providing research assistance. As a Blue Ocean Strategy consultant and corporate trainer, her client list reads the who's who in business, spanning across a number of Fortune 100 companies. She also works with small companies around the world in a wide range of industries, including healthcare, biotech, energy, consumer goods, IT, semiconductors, banking, and many, many more. In the public sector, Dr. Munir has helped professors apply Blue Ocean Strategy at the national level in Malaysia. This is very interesting, which is pursuing economic growth and public happiness simultaneously in its moves towards becoming an advanced nation by 2020. Dr. Munir holds a PhD in management science and engineering and an MBA. She lives and works uh, in, in San Diego, but she has been all over the world working and living there as well. Good morning, Dr. Zunir. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. 
It is a pleasure. I am I am so excited to share this with our audience. Let's define what a blue ocean strategy is. You know, blue ocean strategy at the most basic level, it is a fundamentally different way of thinking about how to achieve success. Um, competition has long been at the core of strategic thinking about how companies or people um, succeed. But Blue Ocean Strategy calls for a shift in focus from competing to creating. Winning doesn't really have to come at somebody else's expense. So it is about, uh, you know, rather than competing, uh, creating. You know, companies as well as people, we have they have long competed with each other. They fight for competitive advantage. They are looking to grab a bigger share of the, of the market. Uh, they strive to do better than their competitors in their industry. But competing head on, um, especially in overcrowded markets, like you said, uh, leads to nothing but a bloody red ocean of uh, rivals fighting over a shrinking profit pool. So blue ocean strategy uh, suggests that instead of fighting in existing markets that are these bloody red oceans, um, companies should instead go for creating new market spaces. Uh, so if you are, you know, using the traditional competitive-based thinking, it is about, you know, getting a bigger slice of the pie. Blue Ocean Strategy instead calls for, you know, baking a bigger pie. And how can you bake a bigger pie? Um, and so it really is about, you know, making the competition irrelevant instead of trying to beat it. And then Blue Ocean Strategy comes with, you know, this whole set of tools and frameworks and analytics that show companies how to exactly go about it, how to create those uncontested market spaces that will bring them um, profitable growth and success. What I love about what you've just said is it, when I reinterpret or reframe some of what you've shared is that we're talking about an abundance versus scarcity mentality. That is exactly right. You know, generally the thought process is how to uh, distribute the existing wealth in the market, how to snatch from others and get, uh, you know, bigger share. Blue Ocean Strategy is about, you know, how to create new wealth. It's not about snatching from others. So it's, uh, you're very right. It is, the idea is that there, there is an abundance out there. How do you go about it? That is what Blue Ocean Strategy teaches you. Can you talk a little bit about the developers of Blue Ocean Strategy and what attracted you to it to, um, to carry the torch? Sure. So um, Blue Ocean Strategy, it's, um, it's the brainchild of INSEAD professors W. Chan Kim and Renee Mobon, who have been working together for about um, more than 30 years, um, analyzing you know, profit and growth consequences of uh, market creation as compared to uh, market competition. So analyzing um, how companies achieve success, how they, um, you know, achieve profitable growth, if they go for creating a new market versus if they are playing in the red oceans and so on. So the study that led to this, um, you know, groundbreaking book, Blue Ocean Strategy, which was published in 2005, it was based on um, over a decade-long study uh, that these professors conducted um, spanning, you know, 150 Blue Ocean strat strategic moves across 30 industries and 100 years. They wanted to know 
why some market creating moves are successful and why the others fail. And are there any patterns? Um, are there similarities between everything that every company that was able to create a new market and so on? So this book, when it was published in 2005, it was you know widely seen as a paradigm shift in strategic thinking. It is now a global phenomena, um, you know, sold more than 3.5 million copies, translated in 43 languages, is a bestseller across five continents. Um, so it has become a, a, now a huge success. What, how I got attracted to it was that it was when I was doing my PhD and my focus was on innovation and I was just looking across all sorts of, you know, theories and frameworks and um, uh, you know, methodologies for innovation. And that is when I came across one of the prof uh, articles written by the professors. Uh, it was one of their first articles published in 1997 um, and was titled, you know, Value Innovation, the New uh, Strategic Logic of High Growth. And when I read it, I just thought, you know, this is, uh, this is what I want to do because just the concept of, you know, finding something other than focusing on competition, it just appealed to me um, at a personal level so much that uh, since then, you know, it was 2005. And uh, since then, I have been involved with them. And, and I think you bring up something very interesting about the timing of the first publication of the book. So 2005 was pre-recession. And I, I think it'd be interesting to learn some of the case studies of the companies that went through the recession, practicing Blue Ocean strategy and how it affected their, their, their bottom line or their evolution as, as a company. That's right. So, you know, Blue Ocean strategy is... Um, is about creating that uncontested market space, which comes from um, reconstructing boundaries between what is already out there. Um, think. Let's talk about one of the successful case studies. Think about circus. You know, what does the industry look like? Animal shows, clowns, slapstick comedy, traveling troupe, dusty benches. That's what circus industry is about. And the market for this would be... Um, you know, families and uh, parents of young children. But Cirque du Soleil, it reconstructed uh, boundaries between the circus and the theater, creating a blue ocean by creating a dramatically different and refined um, entertainment experience, which attracted not the customers of the industry, but really non-customers of the industry who are, um, you know, working adults and professionals and so on. And created a huge blue ocean. You know, now 30 years or more in, the company is still going strong. It is, I, I think, has shows in more than like 80 cities around the world, has made billions of dollars and so on, and did well in um, through the recession too. There are a number of other examples you can look at. You know, iPhone, uh, Apple's iPhone created a blue ocean by reconstructing boundaries between laptops and cell phones. Uh, recent companies, you can see, you know, Uber is reconstructing boundaries between public and private transport. Even in the B2B space, there have been companies who, you know, created Blue Oceans, but have also survived the recession and uh, are doing well even now because Blue Oceans uh, last for a long time. So uh, NetJets, for example, created Blue Ocean by reconstructing 
boundaries between private jets and commercial aviation, bringing, you know, this fractional jet ownership that um, made it available to medium-sized businesses who could never um, really think about owning a private jet. Or, you know, recently there is Salesforce, um, and it is, uh, you know, by, again, um, creating a blue ocean with its software as a service platform, um, bringing it to solopreneurs, bringing it to small businesses, bringing its um, uh, customer relationship management services to all of them. So, um, so yeah, there are lots and lots of examples that you will find in almost all spheres of uh, the economy. We are going to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to carry on the conversation specifically targeted to the small business or the solopreneur. solopreneur. To find out more, please visit Blue oceanstrategy.com on twitter that handle is at blue ocean strategy and on facebook the page is blue ocean strategy and the number one here come those tunes and we will be right back to carry on the conversation with dr zunaira munir we know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we're talking about the business world, how to market oneself in an, in an uncontested marketplace, or how to create 
a, a, a blue ocean, a blue sea of opportunity for oneself in business. And my guest today is Dr. Zunaira. Uh, and my guest today is Dr. Zunaira Munir. She is a senior expert of the Global Blue Ocean Strategy Network. And she's talking to us uh, uh, about applying blue ocean strategy in companies large and small. Before the break, she was mentioning some amazing case examples such as Cirque du Soleil, um, Uber, and, uh, and others. But now, I want to talk about how to apply this for the small business, for somebody who may be just getting into the marketplace, creating a new brand, and how to define that brand for uh, yourself and make it unique and go out, go out and rock the business world. So, Dr. Munir, give us, give us a couple of tips. Or, or, and I'll start by saying, as I mentioned uh, in the opening, that Harvesting Happiness is using Blue Ocean Strategy we have for many years. That's excellent. And, you know, like we talked earlier, I would love to know what uh, Harvesting Happiness is doing and how it has applied Blue Ocean Strategy. Um, But like I said, you know, Blue Ocean Strategy at the most fundamental level, it's just a different way of thinking of how you uh, approach your market. And that thinking then is accessible to, you know, not just large businesses, but also small businesses and uh, so on. And then Blue Ocean Strategy comes with these, you know, tools and frameworks that very easily translate that uh, thinking into how companies can uh, apply it in practice. So for example, you would know, you know, one of the strongest tools of Blue Ocean Strategy is a strategy canvas, which lets companies, um, you know, map out um, what they are doing in the industry, what are the factors that the industry competes on, how are they similar or different to their competitors. So even if you are a small business, you can start with that tool, write down the competitive factors on a strategy canvas, plot your value curve, plot your competitors' value curves, and think about what do you need to drastically change so that you can achieve high value at a really low cost. That's the you know essence of Blue Ocean Strategy. Not just differentiation, not just low cost, but really going after high value and low cost at the same time. So companies need to ask, or small or solopreneurs, they need to basically ask, you know, what can I eliminate that the industry, that my industry has taken for granted for a long time, but I can eliminate and then I can, you know, reduce my costs. So, for example, the circus industry wanted to have animals. Nobody thought that there could be a circus without the animals. But Cirque du Soleil eliminated the animals and, of course, uh, lots of costs associated with it. So companies need to ask, what do they need to eliminate? What do they need to reduce um, much below what the industry is doing? What can they raise much above the industry level? And then really, what can they create that the industry never thought uh, possible? So, for example, you know, Cirque du Soleil reconstructed boundaries between circus and theater. So what they created was, you know, this intellectual sophistication and storyline that just never belonged to the circus industry. So companies can go about, you know, creating blue oceans by asking these four simple questions and using this simple tool, um, which is just really powerful in terms of, you know, insights that companies can get about how to um, create new market spaces. 
I completely agree. You know, if one looks at the happiness industry or positive psychology and well-being, self-help, self-improvement, self-empowering industries, they are completely flooded marketplaces, multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, uh, in some cases, uh, companies and people really preying upon people's weaknesses, very competitive. And the question for our work is how do we pull ourselves apart from the pack? How do we maintain the integrity um, of what the message is that we are, are, are trying to get out there in the world, that we maintain our mission? And so for us, for Harvesting Happiness, it's really been about focusing on giving incredibly good content away for free to build a, a collection and a collaboration of a pie that is really infinite. And from there, opportunities spring quite organically. Very interesting. Yep, it's exciting. It's simple. It's actually quite simple. Yeah. You know, we just talked about, uh, you had mentioned about the Malaysia uh, Blue Ocean Strategy and how, you know, Blue Ocean Strategy is, is being applied at the national level. Um, you know, it's interesting to see that even, you know, not just companies, but even countries, they either go for economic growth or they go for happiness. And generally, it's difficult to go for both. What Malaysia Blue Ocean Strategy is doing is, uh, you know, pursuing this different path where they are trying to achieve both of them um, simultaneously. Um, you know, there are countries that have focused predominantly on achieving happiness, like Bhutan, they have the global, yes. you know, national happiness index or so, but they have really lagged behind on in economic growth. At the same time, we see, you know, these uh, fast emerging Asian companies, also the Western uh, industry um, countries, who are mostly focused on economic growth. But we have seen that over a large period of time, happiness level has not really gone up. Um, so how do countries, for example, you know, try and achieve both of them by reducing costs, by increasing value and so on. And that applies, uh, I think, to the happiness industry as well. Maybe it's just happiness or is it economic growth and happiness or um, that could be an interesting way of looking at it as well. I agree. And the ec economic growth, the economic prosperity of the individual is a, a factor in subjective well-being. You know, if we are struggling to make our monthly nut, our level of well-being or happiness is going to be impacted. So the idea that both of these can go hand in hand is, is a fantastic application of Blue Ocean Strategy. That is very right. And you can, you know, you don't really expect to be happy while you're fighting with sharks in the Red Ocean. So I really feel that if an excessive focus on competition, an excessive focus on, you know, snatching wealth from others, it really cannot lead to happiness. What can bring happiness is that concept of, you know, creating new wealth, not distributing, but creating that bigger pie and so on. And that's how I, I think Blue Ocean Strategy ties in really well with uh, about how well-being can be created. And the concept of just not creating new wealth or creating uh, avenues for financial success, it's the journey along the way. This is what attracts me, is that I can do heartfelt work. I can do work that aligns with my, my purpose, my, my character strengths, which is a big part of what we know breeds happiness. 
And uh, along the way of this journey, there can be financial rewards. It's not what drives me, but it, it is a byproduct of doing what I do from an authentic place. That's really right. Yep. And uh, this is not a model heretofore that's been used in big business, but maybe um, the Malaysian government is uh, getting wise to the fact that it needs to be part of the ethos of the country itself. That's right. Yeah. I, I was unaware of this, um, what's going on in Malaysia, and I'm going to do my, my own research because this is fascinating. Um, what are some of your top tips? The first thing, of course, is, you know, people should be blue ocean. They should create and not compete. Um, also, they need to, you know, focus on the big picture and uh, go after simultaneously pursuing differentiation and low cost. But then they also need to think about, you know, how can it be a big blue ocean, not a small blue swimming pool and so on. And for that, they need to, you know, start thinking non-customers before customers. They start to need, uh, they need to think about desegmentation before segmentation, commonalities between, um, you know, market segments rather than differences between them. And that is what helps them, you know, create a uh, blue ocean. Um, and last but not the least, I think it's keeping their focus on um, creating win-win outcomes. So it's not win-lose, it's win-win. Um, um, so I would suggest, you know, anybody who is interested to go to the Blue Ocean Strategy website, but also, um, you know, uh, sign up for the newsletter there, which uh, brings in stories from all sorts of industries and all sorts of, uh, you know, small and large businesses and how they are applying blue ocean strategy and how they have created um, new uncontested market spaces. Um, and that uh, would generally inspire companies to think differently about their industries as well. Well, we are almost out of time and I want to thank you for joining us and, and, and thank Blue Ocean Strategy for its existence because it's definitely enabled us to harvest more happiness around here. Um, Dr. Zanaira Munir, thank you so much. The website, once again, is blueoceanstrategy.com. The Twitter handle is at Blue Ocean Strategy and on Facebook, Blue Ocean Strategy followed by the number one. And um, I don't often make the huge plug for books, um, but in this case, I can't recommend this book enough. That it is a, a, a fabulous book on marketing, on defining market share, marketplace, and really just a good read. It's a very interesting and fun read. So thank you for joining us. And here come those tunes. We will be right back with more on how to create and, and prosper in an uncontested marketplace. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com.
Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness, because happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about blue ocean marketing strategy. And we're talking about it now with a, a, a business, but really the business is all about uh, our relationship to religion and spirituality. My next guest is Dave Schmelzer. He's the executive director of Blue Ocean Faith, an innovative network of churches throughout the country that are looking to thrive in very non-church-going settings. Earlier, he served for 15 years as founding pastor of what is now Reservoir Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He's spoken at many universities, such as Harvard, MIT, Tufts, U.S. Uh, do that over. He's spoken at many universities, such as Harvard, MIT, Tufts, USC, and Stanford, and at churches throughout the U.S. and Europe. Dave is also the author of Not the Religious Type, Confessions of a Turncoat Atheist. He has a background in both theology from Fuller Seminary and the arts from Stanford University, and a decade working as a playwright. He lives in Southern California with his wife and their five children. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Good to be here. It's great to have you. I, I am really delighted to talk about Blue Ocean Strategy and what it means to spreading the word about spirituality and connection to our inner lives and with a source higher than ourselves. Great. So, I mean, because people would say marketing strategy, really, for church, for spirituality, for religion. So tell us a little bit about how you came to know Blue Ocean and how you began to employ it within your ministry. Uh, sure. I have, a, I have a brief aside, which is that kind of since I started in the religion game, I've had an interest in, in marketing strategy and marketers because it always struck me it's got parallels to this ancient faith idea called testimonials or testimonies. It's just sort of letting people know about something you think is good. And I've always thought, well, that's kind of what marketers do in theory. But uh, so I've had my eye out for just how that could apply. We heard about Blue Ocean Strategy in sort of a, an intriguing way. I had started this church in Cambridge, which at the time was really booming. It became the largest church in Cambridge. And Cambridge is a not church-going place. It's very, very low. It's one of the lowest in the country. It's much more like kind of parts of Europe and you know, other parts of the world where church is not a big deal. And we had gotten really big. And so people were asking us, how did you do it? And we were trying to sort of figure out how we did it. And we ended up in a conversation with a bunch of other churches in similar settings and saying, what do you think? And we do seem to be doing something fairly consequentially different than many of our friends in very church-going places like the Deep South or many kind of rural or suburban parts of America. And as we were trying to kind of label what is it and how can I started writing about it, we started trying to kind of tease it out. A friend of mine who has a PhD in economics from MIT, and so he's very hip to kind of business strategy stuff, said, well, I wonder if one way to think about what we're doing is that it's blue ocean. And, uh, of course, I didn't know what that was and asked him. And so he said, well, a kind of a hot 
um, marketing book these days, this book called Blue Ocean Strategy, and its whole premise is that m- most businesses fish in what's called the Red Ocean, which you may have already talked about on your program, where uh, they are going for current customers. And so there's blood in the water in this part of the ocean because they're fighting for the current customers. But occasionally, some businesses fish in a blue ocean where no one else is fishing, and it forces them to create a whole new product for a a market that's huge because they have the whole rest of the ocean to themselves. On the other hand, there's no guarantee you'll ever catch any fish at all because no one ever has in your field. And so the example that he brought to mind that Blue Ocean Strategy has talked about was um, in the era. Now, this would not apply nearly as well, but probably 15 years ago, uh, Dell and IBM and the personal computer industry fighting for personal computer uh, customers and that Apple was the Blue Ocean company because it created uh, – stuff that people didn't even know, even, even know they wanted. It created things with I in front of it, iPods, and music could purchase online, and then the iPhone and all the other I products. And it discovered it became the biggest company in the world through a blue ocean approach. And so my friend Charles said, I wonder if you and all our other friends are trying to figure this out. In the end, we're just blue ocean. We like being in places in the church industry, as it were, where there's, there's a blue ocean, where there aren't many churchgoers. And it kind of forces us to think through, what's our product? Why do we like it? Who should buy this product, as it were, <laughs> in very secular terms? And why should they do it? And how, how do we let them know about it? And, uh, and you have to learn in that, under this theory from the Red Ocean companies. So Apple would have to learn how to be a good computer company from Dell or IBM. That's a given. But their actual endeavor is to take those, those items of knowledge and then fish somewhere else. And so all to say, long answer, my friend Charles said, it seems to me we are a blue ocean church group. And what does that mean in terms of how your organization functions? Because it really uh, attracts a very different crowd. Although its message is um, universal, there's something that you're doing differently that is um, generating a lot of followers. Yeah, and we're still we're a very small church network. We were a very large conversation, and so when we first started doing this, we were drawing people from all over the country to conferencing and things like that. We've since become our own little church network, which has just begun, so it's very small. But in terms of the conversation it's generated, you're, you're right; it is quite a, quite an extensive conversation. And I think the things that draw people are um, a focus on kind of what's the again using very uh, kind of hard headed secular terminology. What's the product we're offering? I think in a red ocean church context, you're often thinking about kind of the boundaries of what faith is. How are we different than other churches that are also trying to find customers? What's our, what's our selling point? What's our distinction? And so you're focusing on what's our understanding of truth and sin and right and wrong and good and bad. And how do you get in our circle and uh, et cetera. I think with blue ocean, you're not really focusing on at least in our, our use of blue ocean, you're not focusing so much on the boundaries that separate you from other you know, similar organizations, you're really focusing on kind of the product, the center. What's the thing you think is so good that everybody should have it? And so for us, that would be Jesus or God or something living and alive that you'll like. So I think what we found in a place like Cambridge, which is so educated, is we suddenly started drawing all sorts of both educated and people from projects simultaneously once we kind of realized we were doing blue ocean stuff. Because in just talking about here's this good thing, what do you think? Suddenly people felt safe to check us out who were not churchgoers. So we were getting Harvard deans who'd never been churchgoers and, you know, a ton of postdocs and professors. And we were also getting people who were on public assistance, none of whom had ever been churchgoers before. And I think the big switch for us was just saying, here's something we think is really awesome that we think could apply to anybody. And you don't have to become a different sort of person to check it out, almost as if you were buying a product from Apple. You don't have to become a different human being to try an iPhone. You just try the iPhone. And... uh, (laughs) 
so I think in, for us, that was really helpful as opposed to saying, here's our distinctives of what our religious kind of the, the pool we're swimming in is. Do you want to swim in this whole pool? We didn't do that. We just said, here's, I think, the good thing from God, from Jesus that you might like. And that turned out to be quite popular. Now, is Blue Ocean, is your organization, is it, must you be a Christian? Or can you be from any denomination or no denomination at all with simply a curiosity to connect with something greater than oneself or one's own perception of the divine? Entirely the second, although I think one thing that's been unique with kind of a Blue Ocean strategy about that is that we talk quite openly and quite extensively about Jesus. And so that might sound like, well, then you're saying you got to be a Christian. But I think one thing that would distinguish us from, say, usually in, in American religion, at least in American Protestantism, the big distinction is between conservative churches and mainline or liberal churches. And mainline churches are a little bit more secular and focus on the secular world, but they still are dealing with boundaries. What's their, what's their distinctives? What are they thinking about? What's on their mind? Whereas we're so focused on kind of the product and the center, we actually talk extensively about Jesus and the power of God and the Holy Spirit and all that sort of stuff that conservative churches would talk about, but without focusing on here's the kind of cultural um, experience you have to embrace to get that good stuff. And so do people have to be Christians? Not at all. In fact, we draw from a wide, wide swath of people from a wide swath of spiritual and non-spiritual backgrounds. However, when they come, what they discover is, oh, the product we're discussing, as it were, is Jesus. And they typically say, great, well, so long as I don't have to change who I am. So what's so great? What's the pro- Tell me more. Well, I, you know, I think it's wonderful that you mentioned, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jewish girl, but yeah. I, I mean, when we, when we talk about Jesus in the context of A, being blue ocean, I mean, let's, let's also go, go there because I think hey. that the teachings of Jesus um, were very blue ocean. Absolutely. 100%. And, you know, I, I, you're, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, well, really, maybe that's the, uh, the original Blue Ocean market is taking something that we all desperately need in our lives, which is connection to something greater than oneself and, of course, one another. So that sort of engagement on the emotional and spiritual level. And how does one achieve that in, 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 within one's own comfort zone? Totally. And I feel like you could make a case, and I'm sure we have to go to break shortly, so this, I'll make it brief, but you could make a case that Jesus is the original blue ocean dude, that he was constantly breaking through the red ocean groups and saying, I'm actually doing something much bigger than that. I'm here for everybody. I'm here for the whole world. And I want to talk wholeheartedly about what I'm about. The key difference is not that I shut up about what I'm about. It's that I offer it to all groups, not just one. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I mean, as you're talking, this is what's going through my mind. And I see from that perspective how somebody who is inquisitive, um, educated, curious, and wants something more in their lives could see this place, your organization, your church is a very hospitable environment to serve that need. And is, is, is it a brick and mortar uh, church or is it, is it a virtual community? Uh, we have now a network of churches, which are brick-and-mortar churches, and we also have a broader kind of conversation going on with articles and Facebook conversations. I have a podcast, a weekly podcast on this stuff. So we have a kind of conversation that's virtual, and then we also have brick-and-mortar churches. So we're going to go to break, as you mentioned. So thank you for keeping keeping your eye on the time. Uh, but before we do, I would like to give so, our list, listeners a plug about your podcast, um, where they can find it, when it airs a little bit about what's going on over there, and then I will give the information of where to find you out there on the Internet. So tell us about the podcast, and then we'll, we'll jump off. 
Great. It's a conver- It's a podcast called Blue Ocean World. You find it like all podcasts in the known universe on iTunes. You can also find it on our Facebook page um, as well at Blue Ocean Faith in the, the Facebook world. Um, and it's a weekly podcast about anything that we're interested in talking about. It's me and two other hosts from around the country. And uh, we talk about culture. We also talk about faith. We talk about Blue Ocean specific stuff. The whole theory of Blue Ocean, though, is we are in the world. We are not talking about a specific Red Ocean thing. We're talking about everything from a Blue Ocean point of view. Love it. Okay, to learn more about Blue Ocean Faith and the work of Dave Schmelzer, please go to blueoceanfaith.org. On Facebook, as he mentioned, it's also Blue Ocean Faith. However, there is a hyphen between the words blue and ocean and faith. Here come the tunes. We will be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind. It's free. It's legal. It's available 24-7. And we're talking about blue ocean marketing. We're really talking about how one can market one's business and even one's church in an uncontested market space and make the competition irrelevant. And my guest now in the studio is Dave Schmelzer. He is the founder of blueoceanfaith.org. And prior to the break, we were talking about religion. We were talking actually about Jesus and how Jesus was really probably one of the original blue ocean um, preachers. I'm with you. I think he was. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was really about it was about about the word that could serve all, and I think that that is um, really valuable because together we raise all ships, which I think is also very much a part of this blue ocean strategy. I'm with you. I couldn't agree more. And as I was saying just before the break, I think that's even a central part of the message that Jesus was trying to get out. It's not an incidental feature of what he was about. I think it's actually a pretty central feature of what he's about that he was trying to bust out of a red ocean saying that actually I think I'm here for people, not just for you know a certain sort of person who wants a certain sort of thing. I'm here just for human beings. Yeah, 
I, I just want to touch upon one thing because you were at one time an atheist. Yes. And I would love to learn a little bit about your journey from atheism to being a believer. I uh, had been even a little modest atheist debater, uh, if you can call it a, <laughs> a debater like a profession. No, it was not a profession, but I, uh, uh, I had just been kind of, kind of an inquisitive kid. Uh, I'd been brought up uh, kind of a quasi-churchgoer from a dad who wasn't into it at all and a mom who, who, thought, who, who was, but who thought that kind of in that era, I'm in my 50s, so in that era when I was a child, I think just being a good American for many people who had a Protestant background meant you go to church once you have kids. And so my parents started going to church once I was born and my sister. And then we just basically said, we don't want to do this and this is boring. We don't like it. And so we quit. But I was still a super inquisitive kid, and so I started kind of um, bothering all my church-going Jewish Mormon friends. I think that was the three groups of people who, whom I would bother uh, in my schools. I would say, so why are you into this? Usually the answer was because my parents are, and so I am, and I would say, that's great, but I don't have your parents, so that's not, no, it doesn't pinch upon me. Or they would have some answer that was spiritual, and then we would kind of go into it. And so I became known as kind of our little group atheist. I remember some years later— after I'd gone through my own experience with Jesus, I was speaking actually at USC, University of Southern California, and I went into this group, and one of my high school friends was there. And as I walked in the group, she said, Dave Smelser, Dave Smelser, I can't believe you, of all people, are walking into this Christian thing. And I said, you know, actually, there's more to the story. I'm your speaker tonight. <laughs> and so I, my, my switch was just that I, um, I went to college, and I got depressed uh, it was just hard. I think someone was just like any kid going to college. I was away from home, and that was an adjustment, but also it was a hard college. And so I started thinking the whole plan my dad had raised me towards success was like one success to the next, and you would go to grad school and have a success there, and you'd marry some good person, and you'd make some good money, and you'd work really hard, and then you'd die and leave your money to your kids. And I just thought, one, it felt absurd now that I was actually in college, and second, it wasn't clear I was going to succeed. And so I thought, if I don't succeed, is my life a thing is my life miserable. And I got sort of depressed. And so for the first time since I was a kid, I had just actually been in a debate with three very thoughtful churchgoers, uh, like at my college. And, um, I thought, I don't know, maybe they have a point. And so I prayed for the first time since I was a small child, I can even remember what I prayed. I prayed, God, I don't believe you exist, but on the off chance I'm wrong today would be an excellent day to show me and then I had just a, a bunch of weird experiences happen that day, which at the time seemed sort of uncanny. And of course, there's if one had a skeptical perspective on them, you could just say that my I, I was sort of looking for confirmation bias for my prayer, that I was just noticing things. And that may be true, but boy, I noticed a lot of really freaky things. And uh, I began thinking, I wonder if there's something going on out there. And so I kept going with my prayer thing. I would go out. I was rooming with a very outspoken atheist. He actually published on atheism because I went to the sort of college where you could room with freshmen who'd published on things. And uh, I, um, I started praying every night without telling anybody. And I would just say like, hey there, whoever. <laughs> See what's going on. And uh, I did that for three months. It seemed to me I got a lot of feedback. So I started, I was in college. So I started taking religion courses. I took a course on modern day Judaism to say, am I a Jew? I took a course on... Um, Sufi Islam, because they were Islam's, mis or, uh, yeah, Islam's mystics. My sister was a Taoist, so I started learning about Taoism. And after a long process, uh, they told me, my Islam professor and my Jewish professors, I told them my story. They said, I think your story is more a Jesus story because it's a story about direct communication, which we don't have in quite the same way. So check out Jesus. They told me to do it. And anyway, that's, a, that's kind of a rambling account of how I found my way in. And 
isn't that often the way we find ourselves and the journey home? It, you know, it's it, you know we test, we get a little bit of positive proof, and then we you know go into the waters a little bit deeper, and before we know it, we find that we're in, and it, it looks like a, a, something very different to different people, right? Because we are different, but that journey of exploration and inquisition leads us often to just where we need to be. I think it's a great way to think about it. I think it's just sort of being open to what's happening around us. It strikes me as a, I'm sure this is like deep wisdom, but being open to what's happening around us and and following the threads strikes me as a great way to find something. And so that was my story. And, you know, in my uh, day life outside of the studio, I work with uh, a lot of people who are undergoing very traumatic journeys. You know, in many cases, they're returning from war. In many cases, they're challenged by addiction um, issues, behavioral issues. And oftentimes when we can support somebody in finding that spiritual connection or rediscovering a spiritual connection within themselves, um, and it gets proven to them that it contributes to their emotional fitness, then you have an extremely powerful tool to combat what ails them. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, this theory that this super famous psychologist from the 80s, now deceased, M. Scott Peck, came up with after all his famous writing. It was this stage theory about human emotional and spiritual development. And one reason he had done that theory was to try to talk about people he was counseling who were in trauma and some of them would get more religious and that would really help them. And some of them would get less religious and that would really help them. And he wondered why is a very opposite out, uh, approach yielding you know, good outcomes, but it's the opposite. And so he came up with this idea about we develop in certain ways where we have to kind of move into an understanding of kind of religion. And then sometimes we have to move out. And then in the best case scenario, he would say then we move back in in a different sort of way. But all I'll say is, as you talked, I thought about Peck because I think that's kind of his observation. Yes, yes. I am familiar with his work. And, and it is, but it is part of the journey. I mean, if you want to go even further back in history and psychology, if you look at the work of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, Oftentimes, this sort of awakening or epiphany is essential in order for the hero to find his her, or her way back home to occupy their lives. You're talking to fertile ground. I love Campbell stuff and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm down with that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's, uh, we, we, we are running out of time. I mean, it feels like the, that our visit is way too short, so we will have to do it again. But I want to touch upon the the people that you serve, because you do not shut anybody out. You are a welcoming, inviting church and organization. You uh, are hospitable to LGBTQ community. And how has that been when you receive inquiries from people saying, look, I know there's something, I know I need something, but what about this part of me? Being gay, is that the question? Or being perceived as different. It doesn't even need to be gay. That's, I mean, people who maybe come from um, other cultures as yeah. well. Well, I think all that stuff from the LGBT perspective, from other cultures, this blue ocean perspective is super, super helpful. So the church I started in Cambridge, I started within a pre-existing network of churches that was evangelical. And so for evangelicals, of course, it's been a huge kind of battleground over uh, how what the welcome to LGBT Christians looks like or people trying to follow God in any respect. 
And we realized after a while in the blue ocean world that it didn't, it wasn't even a sensical question that basically anybody who wanted kind of the product we were offering, which we're hoping to say again, a very, I'm sure jaded way to put it, but an encounter with God in the way we felt like we could offer was welcome. Anybody, anybody's welcome entirely. There's no, but there's no qualification. There's no nothing by definition of blue ocean. Right. uh, So that actually did put us in conflict with some of our our friends in this denomination because it's a red ocean denomination, which was in the end became a, a bit of a clash. So all to say for Blue Ocean, one of the great freeing things for the churches that have now specifically formed in a Blue Ocean church network is for that question to be entirely off the table has been such a relief because in the religion world, it's often been a very uh, pointed question recently. And I think for my friends that I'm working with, it's a non-question. Anybody who wants to come can come from any background, whatever. You know, as you're talking, um, in my mind, I'm, the little tape that's running is like the prerequisite is you're human, you're in. Right. You're human and you want to pursue this thing. Yeah. The you're in. You, you, you got club membership. <laughs> well I said. Love- yeah, it's so simple, and and as it should be, and that is that is a, a very blue ocean and spiritually compatible with the product that you are selling. Yes, I would put it exactly that way. Again, you know? in the religious world, it sounds a little. There's a bit of a cringe with the product we're selling, but in this setting, it is where the product we're selling is an encounter that we think is powerful and worth having. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about marketing. I mean, this show, the theme of this show is marketing, and and I and and I love that we can talk about marketing openly with how do you market spirituality? How do you market connection? How do you market religion? And, and we are going to have to carry on this conversation because there is too much more to talk about. So I hope we can, you'll come back and we'll do this again together. Once again, to learn more about the work of Blue Ocean Faith, please visit blueoceanfaith.org. The Facebook page is Blue Ocean Faith with a hyphen between those words. And to listen to the podcast that airs every week, Dave, take it away once again. The name of the podcast? Blue Ocean World. Check it out on iTunes. Perfect. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Dr. Zunaira Munir and Dave Schmelzer, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook. Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.